Well, I apologize for keeping everyone waiting. It's the last thing I want to do. Um, talk to all those people on the 5E. <laughs> With that, shall we call? How dare they? Yeah, exactly. They're in my way. So, shall we call this meeting to order? Did you roll call? Trustee DeVries? I'm here. Trustee Hernandez is not here yet. Trustee Banerjee? Here. Trustee Charland? Here. Trustee Jensen? Here. Trustee Thompson? Here. Trustee Zorthian? Here. We All have right. a quorum. Now, are we... Uh, uh, we have two public speakers, and so uh, first is Joe Rose. Joe, why don't you come on up? Thank you, Trustee DeVries, uh, distinguished trustees and staff. I uh, just wanted to do a quick uh, report out on the mentor on discharge program that we have. Uh, as, as you know, we started that in uh, 2011. Uh, Kaiser Permanente had kept us going over the years, and we've now got a contract with AHS this year. And uh, uh, I don't want to go into a whole lot of the details, but we were able to reduce rehospitalization significantly, and I got the numbers if you want to look at those. But um, the contract we have with you uh, does not allow us to provide service to anyone who has private insurance. So that was a funding gap in the contract. However, I am pleased to announce that as of this month, we got another Kaiser Permanente benefit, community benefit grant, which will pay for our services for people that have private insurance at John George, which is about 7%. And so now we can provide service to 100% of the patients at John George who qualify for the, that are recommended by the uh, service work, uh, social workers there for the program. So I just wanted to give you an update and let you know that Kaiser has come in and filled that little gap for us and that we can provide 100% service to, to your patients at uh, John George. Okay. Thank you for the support. Thanks for the update. Yeah. And next we have uh, Felix Thompson. Okay, it's all good. Hi, so excuse me, I'm a little nervous. Um, my name is Felix. I'm a nurse here at AHS, but I'm here tonight just as an individual um, to speak about a bill in the California legislature that I believe will enormously benefit AHS and our patients. Um, it's SB 562, the Healthy California Act. Um, it's going to provide full medical coverage to every Californian. So whereas the ACA greatly increased coverage, SB 562 will make that coverage universal, including for our undocumented patients at a cost savings for individuals and for employers. SB 562 will provide full reimbursement to healthcare providers no matter who we serve. So safety net providers like AHS will receive the same payments as providers who previously only served private insurance and will have predictable, stable funding. Um, even though ACA has not been repealed yet, it can be slowly defunded and undermined until it falls apart and California will need a plan to provide healthcare both to middle class and poor residents and this bill is the most comprehensive with the most cost-saving option, and it serves everyone equally and fairly. Dozens of organizations in the state are already supporting the bill, including unions, nonprofits, and last night the San Francisco Board of Supervisors unanimously endorsed the bill. Um, so I just wanted to share information about the bill with everybody, and if you want to learn more, you can go to the HealthyCaliforniaAct.org website, 
Um, you can learn how to get involved, how to endorse, or read the full text of the bill as it is now. <coughs> That's it. Thank you so much. And although we're not to speak to public speakers, I, I'm going to, if I could ask, this is single payer, correct? It is single payer, just by lot of yeah, so it's time to bump out, bring out my old single pair bumper sticker again. It's time to bump out. <laughs> you can get Dust a new one from the website. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, and, and I do, I, I do want to suggest, if I could, I don't know where we would on the agenda, but uh, could we, uh, as a board, consider this this if you wanted to adopt as part of our legislative package? I know we can't do it right now. It would have to be at a future meeting. We we could have Terry and, and uh, the staff work on drafting something if you're if you're interested in considering it. I think there might be a couple of members that, that would like to do that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I definitely would as yeah. well. Yeah. We, well, if you want to uh, identify one or two of you to take the lead, we'll work with you on it and bring something forward for your consideration. Okay. Yeah. Great, great. Because we we don't really have a rules committee to talk about legislation, so let's just. Let's just make it happen. Okay. Awesome. Thank we'll you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Felix. Um, all righty. With that, I guess it's time for the board president report. And um, I don't have a lot to report except that our um, our gala is coming up uh, for the Alameda Health System Foundation. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really just an amazing event that everyone should go to. I think you should tell all of your friends and neighbors about it. Um, I Sadly, I missed last year because it happened literally the day I was moving into my new house. It was a tragedy. Otherwise, I would have been there. Um, and um, it's a great, great dancing, great fun, great food. And, I, and it's an incredible uh, opportunity to support our system and, and an opportunity that our system def definitely needs everyone to take. And so um, my report is just that um, I'd like to see this sell out and be standing room only. So I, I encourage everyone to be part of it. And um, I don't know if anyone else has any comment on that that they'd like to make. Are, are, do we get a, is, are your, uh, is a, one of the prizes going to be dinner at your house? Uh, uh, I think we are offering that again. Last yeah. year we, it was successful. We actually ended up getting two bidders. And uh, so we doubled the event. Uh, and it went, it, both events went really well. So. Have a dinner at the vice president's house. <laughs> I know, right? How about that? He's yeah, a neighbor. It's a pretty so small we could, house. We, we are, we are neighbors, party. actually. Yeah, we could turn it into a block party. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we do that. Well, you know, that's, I'll have to take that up with my uh, my boss. Because um, she decides so She decides who comes to the house. <laughs> um, and I, I really don't have anything else, so I'll turn it over to Del Vecchio. All right. I'll be brief. Um, just a couple of quick things. Um, I think I may have shared this with number one with you already, but I, I think it bears uh, repeating. Um, we recently had our revalidation survey for our uh, trauma status that's done uh, by the American College of Surgery, uh, Surgeons. Um, and uh, this year, uh, as we, we mentioned, we've been on a journey since last year to, uh, uh, to knock it up a notch. We, are, we have been long um, approved as a level two trauma center. And um, the requirements for level two and level one are largely uh, congruent with uh, some uh, additional expectations around publishing and uh, research activity, of which actually we do a fair amount as well. And so it was sort of one of those all shucks, why not type thing. Um, uh, so we went through the survey and actually the survey uh, was conducted um, uh, last week and went quite well. Uh, I think uh, we expected it to go well, but it went better than uh, I think uh, many of us anticipated. So verbally, uh, the report was quite favorable, and we're 
waiting on the formal report um, uh, and um, any subsequent action. Uh, but uh, barring anything uh, goes, if it, everything goes according to plan, we would expect that we'll soon get notification that uh, we'll be the uh, first and only level one trauma center in uh, Alameda County. So, so we'll let you know as soon as that happens or if anything happens, otherwise I'll come and eat all those words, but I wanted to share that with you. And, and uh, uh, thank and con congratulate um, all the folks who really worked hard to make that happen, uh, particularly uh, um, the leadership of Dr. Greg Victorino, who's our uh, head of trauma here, a uh, really capable and competent uh, uh, surgeon and uh, leader, and actually harkening back on the last announcement was the honoree at last year's gala, actually. So uh, great work on the part of him and the rest of the clinical and administrative staff who were involved in this effort. So just want to let you know about that. Um, to some of the earlier public comment, actually, with respect to the ACA uh, repeal and, and, and any efforts in that uh, um, vein, so you know that uh, uh, Congress uh, went into recess, the, the Easter uh, recess, uh, about a week ago, and were unsuccessful in taking any action to repeal the Affordable Care Act. So, uh, again, living to fight another day, so every day nothing happens, and another day we, we, we protected the gains that we were able to achieve under the Affordable Care Act. So uh, there's still talk, actually, that, that, that uh, on the legislative uh, front, uh, um, uh, Congress and the White House and the administration are working to continue these efforts and not uh, uh, let them wane. I think a lot of it is really tied to expectations around tax savings that would go into um, uh, uh, sort of a broader initiative around tax reform. Uh, so we'll see you know, how that all plays out. Um, uh, but meanwhile, uh, we're also keeping a, a sort of a watchful eye and working with all our partners and California Association of Public Hospitals, America Central Hospitals, California Hospital Association, and so on and so forth, um, uh, to uh, um, sort of monitor and inform the activities of the new administration as well under uh, uh, Secretary Price and uh, Administrator Verma uh, with respect to what's happening with uh, all of the, uh, the ACA from the administrative side. There's some concerns with, with what a lot of actions that could happen with respect to the um, the uh, uh, the exchanges, uh, not so much Medicaid in the in the context of, uh, of some of the efforts that were being tried, like block grants and per capita caps uh, in that in that uh, venue, but uh, still a watchful eye and an opportunity for advocacy to really try to inform uh, the efforts that whatever efforts might happen going forward. Um, uh, sort of separate, but. Uh, somewhat related effort is under the last administration there was something called the we've mentioned it once or twice so it's called the Medi-Cal Managed Care Rule. Uh, this rule is effectively about supplemental payments uh, and uh, which types of supplemental uh, payment mechanisms are allowable and which aren't. Uh, these uh, this rule is aimed at um, removing what are called directed payments. So now that so much of Medi-Cal managed care now obviously goes through health plans. Uh, uh, the administration under the President Obama um, wanted to take a hard stance on how those those payments actually went to uh, various uh, providers, and so there was a prohibition being enforced on um, uh, how how much you can actually target those payments and under what circumstances that's allowable. And so uh, th that rule is a, is set to go into place in on July one. So there's a feverish activity on the part of not just the public hospitals, but and the public plans, which is, is happening, but also the privates. This has implications for the hospital fee, which supports a lot of the, uh, the uh, not-for-profit hospitals around the state. And so everybody's looking at how to sort of uh, fashion and shape those uh, payment mechanisms, supplemental payment mechanisms, so that they're still allowed. Obviously, supplemental payments are a big, big um, 
uh, issue for us, and so we're continuing that work. Uh, the one caveat that we have now is that the new administration and their zeal to remove um, uh, rules and barriers actually, in this case, might work in our favor. Uh, they're actually looking at the potential of um, suspending this particular rule and the implementation of it, in which case that lease uh, has the prospect of buying us some time to figure out if they'll suspend it and then ultimately uh, uh, eliminate it entirely or if they'll suspend it and we'll have more time to kind of come up with a, a, an acceptable plan that, uh, uh, that will work for a go-forward basis. So more to come as that, as that goes forward. Uh, and just a little bit closer to the home front, I want to say progress continues on our goals for this year, as we report on usually at the end of every month. Uh, so I won't report on them uh, at this meeting, uh, except to say that you know, uh, we'll give a little bit more of a detailed update in our retreat coming up at the end of the month. Also in the retreat, we're going to give a little bit more detailed update on where we are with goal setting for, for uh, uh, next year. I talked in the last meeting on sort of the remaining sequence steps that uh, we have, including uh, uh, engaging with you all on how that's shaping out, uh, including an all-day retreat we're going to have on Monday with uh, uh, staff members across the organization, sort of representative cross-section to talk about what the uh, leadership has done with the information we've gotten and how we've kind of pared it down to, to be what we think is a manageable, uh, achievable, and ambitious still set of goals and get some buy-in and some uh, feedback on that. And then ultimately then to approve those associated with the budget and, and, and bring it back to you for approval under the, um, the auspices of the budget for next year, uh, beginning in May and going through December, or going through uh, June. Uh, and that's about it. Unless there are questions about any of that or anything else, I'm happy to entertain. Thank no you. Questions? You mentioned the budget. Are we going to have a, a time at the retreat to discuss the budget, or will it be separate from that? So we're going to give an update on where we are today. That's okay, part of that. uh, David's report. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a tentative that we might go through it then, but we're expecting that uh, what we've been talking about is we're going to, uh, as, it, as it gets <coughs> buttoned down, and you'll see where we are right now, a bit of the sausage making. There's still a lot of work to do. Um, uh, we're going to either um, uh, use a good portion of one of the upcoming meetings in May to kind of go through it in uh, a great detail. It's sort of what, what we did last year. You get sort of a first reading, Q&A, we come back, bring it back to you, and then um, uh, either at that meeting or a following one, depending on where we are in the cycle, uh, uh, request <coughs> approval at that point. But the first meeting won't be, here it is, please approve it. When are you expecting to bring it forward in final version for approval? So it'll either be the, the uh, board meeting at the beginning of May, which is a little bit ambitious, but the likelihood is that it'll what, you said for final approval? Yes. Oh, sorry. So, no, that'll either be... <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It won't be May. Sorry. Yeah, no. It'll either be uh, the first meeting in June or the second meeting in June. So if we haven't done the first uh, run-through by the end of May, which I think we will, uh, then the first meeting will do that in the second meeting we'll ask for approval, but I think it'll be the second meeting in June. Okay. Just for our newer members, last year the way they did it, I thought it was great in that we got an early look at what we're getting tonight. Uh, a second or third look, and so I think we really all knew what we were voting on in the end, and there were no surprises uh, because we, we were we were talking it through the whole time. I thought last year's process was excellent, so um, we'll have to do it again. <laughs> I was like, do you disagree? <laughs> I'm a therapy from the first round, so we'll... <laughs> Any other uh, questions or uh -oh. odd noises from phones? <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thanks. Right. So we're on to our consent calendar. Um, uh, yeah, I wanted to pull uh, one of the contracts.
Okay. And uh, we actually we're, we, we're not. Oh, we're, we're, in the we're, not yeah, yeah. we're in the minutes, but okay. we're going to take an act. We're going to we're going to pull the March 9th minutes because there's yes. an error that needs to be uh, fixed. So we'll That's bring right. the March 9th minutes back next time. So uh, we're just looking at the March 23rd minutes. People I'll have... move the 23rd minutes. Second. All right. All in favor? Aye. 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 Great. And now we're on to the policies that were approved by the Quality and Professional Services Committee. Move approval. Second. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 All righty. And um, now we're down to committee reports. Finance. There was a written report in the there past. There was, yeah. It was a little more detailed than usual because uh, Trustee Benergy and I held down the finance committee. And uh, since we spent an hour and a half, 40 minutes of people's times, we thought it was valuable to report out. There were some action items left on that. Uh, Mr. Cox, are they going to be reported in this meeting when we get to your section? Mm -hmm. Or are they going to be brought back to finance committee? Mr. Redman uh, had an action to cover the contracts tonight. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a couple of the contracts you talked about are on the agenda for tonight. But we had also oh, talked okay. about missing revenue uh, because we're keeping patients over oh, the no, weekend. Oh, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not prepared to. Mm. You're talking oh, no, about recycle improvement? No, no. That's <laughs> right. The registry issue. The registry issue and, yeah. He's talking about your finance report. Yeah, we're not. We don't haven't brought anything. That was a question. I didn't think so. It was last Thursday. So. That's for your report, Anthony. Very detailed. And very yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that was very informative. Appreciate that. So I missed the the meeting. It was it was good to have that report. To really have that comprehensive overview of everything that happened. Right. Appreciate it. And our QPSC reports in there. Did you have anything you wanted to add? No. I. It's nice to know that the trauma um, site. Is it went well um, because Dr. Victorino had talked to us about it and some of his concerns. But other than that, it's as written. Great. Then let's move to action items. I don't need to accept the committee reports, correct? I don't need a motion on that. No. no. That's what I thought. Thanks. Okay. So we're on to action items, approval of contracts. And now, uh, Trustee Jensen, I think you had something you wanted to hold. Royal Ambulance? Yeah. Okay. But with um, that amendment, I would move approval. Okay. I, uh, I actually had, were there other contracts people wanted to talk about um, before we do a, a total approval? That I did have a comment. Okay. Um, so is, I'm waiting for uh, Trustee Jensen. Uh, well, which, which one did you want to? I just wanted to know a little bit more about, you know, um, number eight. Number eight, Uber. Yeah, I had some questions about that one as well. Uh, and I actually had some questions about, um, oh, where is it now? Um, you know what it was about? Yeah, the two construction contracts. Uh, oh, there are two different ones. So one is number one. Mm -hmm. Thank you. There. The it's like right in front of me. Yeah. Okay. And the second one, number Colin? Three. Number three. Number three. Or number four. Number four. Uh, right. Or number so, four, yeah. Exactly. Well, three is a and, and again, I don't necessarily want to hold them up. I wanted to have a conversation. Should we just have all the conversation now before we? Yeah, if we think we're going to vote in mass, you can just we take them one at a time. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There you go. So my first one on on on. Well, let's go. go ahead. Okay. Yeah, no, well, go ahead. since mine are on the first two, one and one and four. Um, as 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 you know, I've I've pushed often that we have local contractors, and I know you, you make every effort to. And I just wanted to hear a little bit about that process because. 
I noticed that um, latent construction is, is not local. I mean, they're everywhere. Their closest office, I think, is in maybe San, 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 San Jose. Yeah, they're Utah-based mm -hmm. from. They're, huh? they're based in Utah. They have Utah, everything. correct. Yeah, yeah, I looked them up on the website. And then Colin, uh, also not uh, local. I can't remember where they're located, but it's certainly not what I would call northern, local. And, and I like just northern and I know you're 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 sensitive to this, but I kind of wanted to hear how did we, how was, was there a local that was even close? Because I think about the millions of dollars we're going to spend, and if that's mostly on labor, I'm 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 going to make a, a huge assumption. Maybe it's not, but if that if the, if the labor is going to locals, then it just puts more money in our local economy. So do you, can we speak to either of those? And I, I thought we were going to give them additional points. Um, for being local and the local contractor Turner Construction uh, just got indicted last week, so maybe that was uh, one reason we didn't do quite local. But <laughs> oh, so they were on the list. Well, I don't know, but they've done Fox No, so let me let me tell you about the process, the responses, and right. in the in the, in the yeah. Right. So just to just to clarify the process, I mean, as, as part of the RFP, just beginning with the RFP processes, we're putting that together. We clearly define exactly what the expectations are, what we're looking for. And how we are, we highly encourage and look for uh, local support, local contractors, and local um, hiring practices. As uh, to to further uh, to further support that, we include that in our rating criteria, where there are points associated with uh, you know that preference and that local preference, which we you know consider as part of that uh, total overall assessment and grade. In uh, in specific to these two projects. Uh, San Leandro or item number one, mm -hmm. unfortunately, we only had one vendor provide, uh, one contractor provide a proposal and a bid, and that was latent construction. Really? That could be for many, many reasons, and I, I cannot speak for all the contractors, but there are so many, there's many variables that impact that, bonding capacity, amount of work that they've currently got, um, you know, just, again, the appetite for something of that nature, of that magnitude. So those are many variables that you know contractors themselves have to consider, and they they decide or determine if they want to bid or participate in the process. Mm -hmm. We had several contractors that were involved in the initial RFP review. They were involved in the walkthrough that was done as part of the RFP process, but only one bid, qualified and responsive bidder, was submitted, and that was latent construction. We still went through the evaluation process. Mm -hmm. Yes, they are Utah-based, but they have a very large outfit in San Jose. Um, they do and have done a tremendous amount of work in healthcare organizations, healthcare facilities in this entire area, to include John Muir, to include uh, El Camino, uh, many other other hospitals in the area. Uh, very successful, very talented, very capable, and part of the work and, and the effort that they put together when they're coming in here. Although their their senior leadership, or per se, we can we can call their project superintendents, their their project engineers and some of the leaders uh, that support the administrative aspects of the project are from their local offices in San Jose. A bulk of the work is coming from the Building Trades Council that is local to the areas. So that's usually how the work is delivered and how the work is is put into effect. So that's what's happening with uh, with San Leandro. Same applies to to Colin. And before you go to Colin, so. I appreciate that they're a, a, that they have the skill to do it, the experience, and, and the background. So I'm not even questioning their. Um, days. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you gave me the answer. Only one applied, and, and you had several that you you walked through the process, and that I appreciate. And I assume some of those several were, were local Alameda County contractors, um, and that's um, hey, not much you can do about that, other than 
put it back out for RFP, and I'm not even recommending that. But it, it, I, I get it, so thank you. Um, do we put, uh, and, but you, you gave me a second question, do we put requirements that, uh, as far as the local hiring of that those contractors use? Because uh, you say building trade council, and that's great. Is that is that a built-in requirement? So, and again, I want to be careful with the uh, with the word requirement. Okay. I cannot require them to do such a thing, but we are giving them uh, additional points. We're making that a, a preference of ours, and we're letting them know that that's what we want to see as an organization that they look at leveraging the resources that are within our community and how we support our local economy. And then the same oh, yeah, applies to the yeah, same yeah. applies to Colin Colin Construction. That is uh, it, that that project specifically is our MRI that you've heard. This was a a grant that we received uh, through our foundation from Kaiser for the installation of a of an MRI unit in our shelled space of our acute care tower. Uh, so we're installing a, a new state of the art 3T machine, and then we're upgrading our existing uh, equipment within the facility. Um, we equally went through the same process of the RFP, just like we did with Layton. Uh, they we, we narrowed it down to a couple of the vendors. In fact, one of the one of the primary vendors was actually a, uh, one of the manufacturers and one of the you know that they were going to look at subcontracting. So we decided to uh, move forward with with Colin. They've been very involved in the process. They they have extensive experience in imaging installations, and so that's why we went ahead and proceeded with them. This is a very sensitive project, highly technical. It is within an operating space. And we want to make sure that we have someone that understands and, and deals with the complexities of that type of sensitive equipment. So hence the reason why we decided to push forward with Colin. They, the same same uh, same uh, principles apply as far as them accessing local talent for their general building trades. But uh, but that's what we wanted to focus on specifically for the for that uh, that type of project. Yeah, the Colin project certainly looked a lot more highly specialized, mm -hmm. and so I. I imagine there may not be a local contractor that could actually meet meet the requirements. So that made sense to me. But but, but certainly on on the first one, I thought I, I had to ask the question. You knew I was going to ask the question, didn't you? Yes, sir. And I'm and I'm good. <laughs> I'm glad you did. And trust me, we look at it in all of our projects. Exactly. Excellent. Thank you. <coughs> yes, sir. If I could just add to you, I mean, it, we you're, um, I would say you're you've been a huge champion of this, and we uh, very much appreciate that. And so, uh, as he's mentioned, it is you know we we have it as a sound. Um, sort of element of our contracting process uh, um, you know, from the point at which we did this going forward. But we actually are also taking um, uh, some uh, efforts now to put in place processes to actually monitor this on a more aggregate basis a little bit more to see, you know, right now what's the baseline of how many, uh, how many of our contracts are internal or I should say sort of local and not local and what that dollar amount is and then what the number of contracts are and the dollar amount as we sort of progress with this spirit in mind of uh, equity and, and uh, uh, anchor institution uh, uh, principles for the organization. So at some point we'd love to bring that back to you and give you a sense of how that's going. Yeah. No, I, I really, I, I thank you for being um, receptive to that. And But I would I wouldn't throw out there, I know you used that word requirement, and, and you said you can't do that. I don't know if that's true. I know that uh, uh, the cities and counties have looked at having hiring, you know, local hiring requirements. I know for the Army Base Redevelopment Project for the City of Oakland, they implemented a phenomenal local hire requirement to make sure that the people actually doing the work on the ground were from Oakland, at least 50%, and it was revolutionary but legal. And so um, yeah, I don't know that that's a terrible it, idea. That's a, um, there's constitutional requirements around that. Um, so we are looking into that, and it's, um, we have to, we have to uh, 
we have to continue. We have to research uh, how far we can go. And, and at this time, we're comfortable placing the language that Luis has alluded to. But we're definitely looking into how far can we take that. Yeah, let's it, take it all the way. Well, no, we also well, have to look at the cost-benefit to the health system. You know, obviously, we want to hire local people, and that's not at twice right. the cost. And, well, and the developer of the army base, who's my client, hasn't been able to find nearly the amount of talent as is required by his contract, and has had to hire people. They're just not. The but there's here. but there's a clause that allows that Up after they've exhausted. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And again, I I don't want to add to our costs, but I do think if 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 we can, if given the opportunity, the more we can 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 require it. You know, obviously with an escape valve when necessary. I think it just it, as an anchor institution, as a public facility, I think we should. We should always strive to, and thank you for that. I'm not suggesting that you're not, but right. yeah. we are, we are uh, looking at it cautiously, not because we don't, you know, we're, we don't want to aggressively move in that direction. We we are just trying to avoid any unintended consequences of creating a precedent that might actually then uh, pull us back into a state where it becomes a expectation uh, for which we don't have the flexibility that we may have when we need to exercise it uh, versus Fair enough. Uh, when we don't. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Uh, so the next one was five. So um, Well, this contract is local, so that's not an issue. And, uh, but, but I do have a question. <clears throat> this is a contract with Royal Ambulance. Um, the, the current provider, who's the current ambulance? Westmed. Uh, Westmed. Westmed, right. And they've been a provider for... Um, for our transport, not just for emergency, but for um, patient transport as well, right? And that's not what emergency. this contract is for that as well? This is for all services? This is, I think, um, if I can clarify, this agreement is with Royal. It's replacing our current incumbent, which is WestMed. Um, this agreement would primarily um, cover the transport from an intra-facility transport requirement. So from one of our facilities to another. Um, that would be to draw a counterpoint to another item on this agenda, which is the proposed agreement with Uber. That's also under the rubric of patient, but what it really is, from my understanding, separately, it's not for intra-facility, which in my mind I'd read for inpatients, if you will, needing to go from one facility to the other while they're here with us. Separately, the proposed agreement with Uber is for patients who, perhaps upon discharge, are incapable of finding a means to leave our entire system to go home, for instance, and then we wish to have that arrangement separately. So one's for highly medicalized, that's royal. Separately, there is transport, which is what Uber would theoretically be capable of handling. The Uber one is also for non-acute um, non services, so it may be if people need uh, um, transport support home from clinics or other sorts of things where we're trying to facilitate people having greater access and decreasing no-show rates and things like that. So, no, that's great. So it's about um, 1.4 or something a year, 1.45 million a year. And my, the reason I bring that up is because I noticed in the report, and I, um, you know, I'm familiar with WestMed, that WestMed was unable to continue the service because it was not financially viable. So we're increasing um, payment, it looks like, from the summary, by 40% to this provider. That is correct. We are proposing that. So uh, my question is, why, in WestMed's local as well, why didn't we offer it to WestMed, or why didn't we, over the past couple of years, um, increase their their payment? And um, isn't it possible, 
it's just from this brief report, it sounds possible that WestMed's financial difficulties may be due to the fact that they're being underpaid by us and we're the biggest part of their business. I would say that I would like to take that in several points. Um, with your latter point, with regards to what possibly was what put them, WestMed, in a financial difficulty, I believe that in no small part, from what I understand, their concerns were that they had essentially in the RFP, which resulted in their becoming the current incumbent, they had essentially underbid. Um, there could have been a number of reasons that I'm going to just hypothesize about. I believe that perhaps some of the information that they had, which we would have given in the best faith and knowledge at the time, may have not represented things as well as we would have liked. We may have, that may have been a situation. But they also, you know, as an independent agent, made their own decisions and they did this. Now, when I came on board well after WestMed had contracted under their current arrangement, I first heard about it when there were some concerns with regards to timeliness of WestMed's actually showing up for requested service. And that was separate and before I ever heard about concerns about their financial ability. So I want to draw a distinction between that. So we had service concerns from very, very early on in the relationship, as I understand it, with WestMed. And in the RFP process, which I was party to, I heard from people who were on the front lines and saw staff and how they were impacted with regards to this. There was unanimous agreement that WestMed simply was not, whether they were capable or not, they were not meeting our requirements. And as a consequence, patients were having to wait unacceptable periods of time, and we also had issues with timely discharge, which of course from a turn for bed issue becomes a financial concern. So is this 40% increase because of a competitive bidding process? Yes, it actually is. And we had other bidders? Yes, we did. And among others, WestMed did make a bid. Their bid, importantly, although they had the same information available as all the other respondents, did not reflect some of the key elements that we had asked them to do. On that alone, we could have excluded them, but we chose not to in an interest of fairness. And when we looked at the entire proposal, WestMed, without divulging the specific dollar value, was far higher not only than what they had currently been getting, which you would expect given the circumstances, they were also the highest of all of the bidders by a large margin. So we had concerns about service capacity, the relationship had soured, and our staff who represented us from a clinical perspective on the RFP team were unanimous. They didn't want to go down that route again from a purely service relationship. And then when you looked at the dollar value that it would have incurred, it would have been well beyond 40%. Well, thank you so much for the details. Um, that's really helpful, and I, I am certainly not, I, I certainly support this contract. I, it was just a large amount, and I, um, it wasn't clear to me that it was actually competitive. So your information was was very helpful, and also want to appreciate the format and information in the, the contracting reports themselves. All of them, I think, it's really. Um, Joe will agree with me. It looks like a, a summary from, yeah, great. you know, what what we kind of see, which provides. The information about who, where the organization is, who is um, covered, whether it was competitive or not. And um, it, it's really helpful. It's good to have all that information. And I um, probably, having, if I hadn't had it, I might have pulled a couple more. But. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Any, any other questions about, yeah. about that, uh, about the Royal Ambulance contract? No. Should we move on to number eight? Yeah, sure. I, I read I read in the finance report there's there some questions that you raised and I, I, I had similar ones, so yeah. I'll let Trustee Benner. I, I just want to kind of recap what we did in the finance committee because we were just two of us and we didn't have a quorum. Right. The idea was to bring it here to the full group 
So again, as always, it was, you know, if it was just a CEO issue or something like that, because it's so systemic, it's so long-standing, and Ira said that there were three bids on this one. So one of the things that we suggested was that could you tell us a little bit about, like, maybe some of the other ones too, um, given how, you know, at least one of us felt about Absolutely, I'd be happy to. Um, did a little bit of research. I wasn't a participant in this on um, the RFP, which resulted in this proposed contract. But after doing a bit of research with the individual who supervised it on my team, um, there were, to be clear, there were three um, entities or vendors who were invited to apply. However, only two elected to do so. One was Uber, and the other one was our current incumbent provider, but I don't believe under a contract, and that was with Friendly Cab. So there were only two. Um, I. I'm looking at a summary, if you will, of the back and forth and the review and analysis that was done. And I would say that the team that worked on this definitely flagged what I believe you and perhaps other of the trustee members are alluding to, which is some concerns about high-level leadership issues that are rampantly in the press currently regarding Uber and how that would impact versus the strengths, which were flagged as an unlimited fleet of vehicles as well as highly competitive pricing. Right. So it came down, I believe, in a nutshell, to weighing the optics and also legitimate concerns about how would the services provided by the leadership of this agency be associated both with our name and also with clientele who are our patients or were our patients who are using it they may wish to unfriend Uber, and we need to be aware of that. But the flip side is from wearing your accountant's visor, what are you getting for your value? And there is a dollar value in our fiduciary responsibility. And I both think both of those were weighed, and given the relative strengths and merits of both of the two applicants, including our prior actual experience with how Friendly operated, they came down with the decision they made. One thing I would say is if you decided to go through and propose and vote for the... Um, agreement with Uber, if at any point in that relationship things got much worse and you decided we just can't be a party to this no matter what, even including the cost issues, there's, as with all of our contracts, we put without cause termination language in there. And this one would give us 90 days. So if we kept our finger on the pulse and at any point the board or leadership said, you know, we just can't be a party to this, let's start looking. We could, in my mind, we could execute and give notice, that would be 90 days, and at the same time, we could logically look to who we already had been with, which was friendly, and we could try if we wanted to, but it would be a lot longer lead time, to revamp the um, RFP and do that over. But regarding the reality, you'd need to be a switch pretty quick, so you'd probably go back to friendly. And, would, and among the three that you invited was one kind of at least, like cab and Uber doesn't quite like it's apples and oranges right now, so was the other one, the one who didn't bid, similar to Uber, like are we talking Lyft or something? You don't have to give me the name, but I'm just asking, like was it something that You can take that my visage as confirmation <laughs> for what you think. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, and they unfortunately chose not to respond. Okay, that, that's very helpful. I guess you it's the only question I have is, on Uber, will there be a diff, uh, like additional operational costs Uber to manage as opposed to the cab? From my understanding of how this arrangement is proposed, there were two elements that were all part of the dollar value you see rolled up in the summary. One was with regards to their per mile rate, and the other was a fixed route charge, overhead, if you will. Um, Uber came in without divulging the actual dollar values 
significantly double-digit percentage lower in both of those elements. Significant. But in terms of operational costs themselves, I mean, for trying to manage these rides, to, I guess, does someone have to go online to, to enter things, and does that create some sort of additional operational costs where, you know, the cab may not have, have created those costs? My understanding in general... My understanding in general is that once the contract would be put in place, there would probably be individuals within our facility who had responsibility for making arrangements for transport. They would be given the contact protocol for, I assume, Uber. And whatever that protocol is, I don't have the minutiae, but if it's anything similar to how individuals in the real world just use Uber, presumably it would either have an app and there would be a hospital-sponsored cell phone that they could do that with, or they would go online and they would make that arrangement, presumably. Oh, and I, I'm sorry, I had one other um, thought. For the contract itself, is there a way to put a 30-day out on it? Um, or like a four-cause and maybe define a four-cause, considering what some of the current issues are with Uber? I didn't draft the contract myself, but if it's based on our template, which it should be, then there should be an addition to without-cause termination language, which is the 90-day out. There should also be a four-cause, and that's if breach. So if that's the case, it would depend on what we wish to define as breach. Now, I am not aware off the top of my head if that would include things such as public image and things of that nature, which is coming exactly to the core of what I think you're thinking into. Um, in addition, I can look into that, and I could report back by email. Um, the flip side is, since this was done through an RFP process, large elements, including possibly the actual contract proposal in its template form, may have already been shared. So I would be hesitant if that's what the case was, they have bid based on that totality of information. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. People have other questions or comments about this bidder choice? Uh, <laughs> I move acceptance of the contracts when you're ready to call a motion. Okay, fair enough. I, uh, I just want to say I, I share some of my fellow trustees' concern about this. I know that, um, yeah, having dealt with both of the companies in, involved, I, I, this is an odd situation, I have to say. It's a shame that Lyft, who seems to be politically um, squeakier right now, um, <laughs> couldn't be a bitter, but... Um, well, Uber's open company. Right. I'm and all the drivers are local. Right. The, the Uber is, in fact, moving its headquarters or most of it to Oakland, so that does make None them local. There's a preference. Small Okay, fair enough. So, um, do I have a motion? I have a motion. Do I have a second? Second. All in favor? Aye. All right. We are on to um, David. I think you're up. And you are up. Excellent. Okay. Um, my uh, written report to the Finance Committee is attached. I'll give you the highlights. Um, this is through February. We don't yet have March statements. I'll have those next week. Uh, we have um, profitable <clears throat> activities year-to-date. We had a relatively good month in the uh, good performance in the in the month of February, uh, as well as year-to-date. Uh, February is a short month, as you know, uh, but even even with that, the um, uh, revenues and expenses were relatively close to budget. It's good to see. 
Um, Year-to-date <clears throat> um, revenues still exceed um, uh, budget significantly by about um, four and a half percent, I believe. Expenses over by, by about four and a half percent, which is why we're uh, close to budget. <clears throat> we're still dealing with the registry issue, uh, contracted physician supplies, maintenance. <clears throat> uh, an interesting trend, which we uh, discussed at some length at the committee, was the um, increase in the average length of stay and the resulting uh, smaller number of discharges that we uh, we have this year compared to last year. That's <clears throat> continued into March. We just distributed our statistical report to everybody today. Um, <clears throat> and the reason for that is um, being attributed by our case management department to the lack of uh, coverage for discharge planning over the weekends, uh, which you know tends to um, uh, re result in people staying in the hospital longer than they need to. So that's an issue that's been uh, being worked on as part of our care redesign um, initiative. Uh, clinic visits continue to run uh, negative budget, but slightly higher than prior year, and uh, March was actually a, an uptick in the level of uh, uh, ambulatory visits. Um, <clears throat> uh, we still have some major projects underway. Uh, ambulatory access redesign is being headed by Dr. Bavaria, Bar Barbaria, I'm sorry. Um, and... Um, the, uh, the benchmarking productivity assessment will be uh, coming to you uh, probably within uh, either next month or the month after. Uh, we have to review it with our team, but we have, a, I think, an exciting um, <clears throat> opportunity. Uh, the physician charge capture assessment has been completed. It's uh, one of the issues we want to address next year. Uh, soaring financials rebuild is well underway, on track to get done by. July 1st, uh, I can report that we're very near completing the contract with Aetna. We have one one big issue that we're trying to address. Uh, it, it's not an economic issue, but it's a, it's a contract term that we don't like. And then uh, the registration team continues to work on that, or registry team continues to work on that. Um, <clears throat> this is a high-level summary of... Um, uh, performance year-to-date, so here is, um, for example, net patient revenue of budget by 3.7, above last year by 9.8, supplementals above budget by 5, above last year by 4.5, so uh, total revenues are ahead of budget by 4.2 and 8% higher than last year, and expenses are 4.5% negative and 8.8% higher than last year. So you can see our um, operating income at 27.9 is pretty close, within a million dollars of the uh, target. Um, <clears throat> these are the um, some of our key statistics in terms of discharges. This is what I was referring to, uh, 12,687 compared to last year, 13.5, so we're down 6% in terms of total discharges, even though the census at 279 is actually higher than last year. So we have growth in people in beds, but, but fewer total people coming through the system. Um, Post-acute census has been running very strong. Actually, in March, uh, we saw in the report today, it hit 300 for the month of March, which is, I think, a record uh, from what people are saying. That's a lot of patients in, in beds. And then here are the clinic visits, 222,891. You can see that's um, about 10% below budget, but slightly ahead of the prior year. Okay. Um, now, this is worth talking about. So this is um, the cash forecast, uh, and as you can see, we uh, when at least when we were in the finance committee, I was 
projecting we were going to be right at the limit at June 30th. And of course, everybody knows we have to be somewhat below. Uh, subsequent to that meeting, we have reached agreement <coughs> with the county on the health pack agreement, <coughs> uh, which is going to result in an additional $23 million uh, coming to us um, actually this year. We originally thought it was going to, the payment would come in July, but we're now being told that since we're achieving the metrics, the new metrics for the new contract, they're going to start making these payments. Uh, I don't have an exact number, but uh, we'll probably receive 15 to 20 million um, between now and June 30th, which will push this down and should result in um, uh, compliance without the need to go through a lot of machinations. Uh, we're updating that cash forecast right now, so I'll, be, I'll know that within a week or two of exactly where we're going to be. Um, the, the other thing to note about this are these two big drops here. These are the MCE to cost payments. Um, earlier tonight, Del Vecchio talked about the uh, managed care rule and the potential impact. So these two payments are about uh, $72 million each. This is for 15-16. This is for 16-17. And you can see that we're going to come down to about um, really break even, maybe even have a positive positive balance, which would be fun, uh, before it starts going up again. Uh, the significance, though, is that the uh, these payments under MC to cost are, are largely governed by this uh, new managed care rule, which is roughly going to cut those in half. And we're working on, Dovecchio primarily is working on um, uh, a potential solution to that. Um, but if, as indicated, uh, the, the rule gets pulled, that would probably give us uh, an additional roughly $36 million in this fiscal year uh, that we weren't counting on under the current budget. Uh, so as, as we go back to um, this, uh, this is the current fiscal year. So the first thing is we have this contract that's going to add $23 million to net revenue. Now, there's a provision in the contract that says if, if the state comes back and determines that they need to take that money back from the county, they can do so, and then we have to give it to the county who gives it back to the state. There's some potential that that could happen. Uh, it really relates to another issue of whether we get to count um, <clears throat> all of the uh, uh, new capital costs for the ATR. Uh, but it, be that as it may, so the, what I'm trying to explain is that even though we're going to pick up $23 million in cash, we're going to book about half of that as revenue and keep the rest in reserve just to be, just to be cautious. Okay, and, and, and if things develop well, we can bring the rest of that money into income next year. So then as we, as we talk about the, um, the budget status, so you have a report in front of you that um, is sort of is very, very preliminary. <clears throat> and this is a result of um, a detailed review that's being conducted with all the departments. Uh, and currently, um, or as, at the time of the Finance Committee, we had a few left including some big ones, which are ambulatory and the uh, physician delivery. We're going to, I think we expect to complete those reviews uh, in the next week or so. Uh, the result of that review is that we had um, uh, revenue increases of about 2.6%, but expense increases of about 7.3%. So that resulted in a drop in the projected uh, EBITDA margin down to about 1.9%. That's something that obviously we're very concerned about. 
so we're looking at that two ways. One is what's going to happen with revenue, and the other is what can we do with expenses to kind of bring those trends together. Uh, so on the, um, the revenue side, uh, starting with 2.6, the first thing is uh, the management team's looking at um, our revenue cycle improvement program and a number of different opportunities. We can report on those in a future meeting. But we believe that there's an opportunity for 10 to $15 million of improvement. Uh, we're talking about which of those projects we can go after next year, and that's the uh, uh, charge reconciliation uh, project primarily that uh, Anthony <coughs> referred to earlier. So that's, you know, if we, if we say 10 million, that's 1% that's growth in revenue. Uh, and then depending on what happens on uh, issues like the managed care rule and MCE to cost and some of these other things, there's a potential for another, you know, 2 to 3%. So that potentially could get us up to, you know, 6% revenue growth, which would be good. Um, <clears throat> and then we have to deal with the expenses. We currently have 73 uh, we haven't really, we want to complete these reviews, but after we do that and after the uh, uh, management retreat that we have on uh, Monday, where we're going to try to focus in on uh, priorities, uh, that will be the time that we can come back and, and uh, start making some executive decisions about expenses and potentially, um, you know, balance the revenue growth with the expense growth and, and then come back to you with a final recommendation on the budget, which we um, expect to give you in a detailed review uh, at the next finance committee and then uh, going on through the normal review process after that. Um, Army right. team to the ER, we have a level two ETA, eight minutes. Army team to the ER, we have a level two, eight minutes. Okay, so I think that is uh, my comments. This is uh, in your package. I know this is too, uh, too small to read, but uh, it's on page 175 of your package if you want to pull it up there. And I'd be happy to answer any questions. I spoke a lot at the Finance Committee, so I'll kind of hold my Except I think when you're negotiating the expenses with uh, the organization, you should remember Nancy Reagan's uh, slogan in the 80s, which I think was very popular. To <laughs> say no. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Could you say more about why we would be getting $23 million more for HPAC? I just, not being on the Finance Committee, maybe they know. Yeah, sure. Um, the, uh, there's a program called um, AB85 uh, Redirection, which um, has to do with, um, um, ultimately it has to do with whether the system is incurring uh, costs that aren't being reimbursed. And um, the um, calculation for this particular year fell in the favor of the county. The county received, uh, actually, I believe it was $26 million, um, and has a need to do something with that. They, uh, after discussion, decided that there were some other initiatives that they would like to have accomplished by uh, Alameda Health System. And uh, we negotiated an addendum to our agreement to... Uh, bring that money in, and the other $3 million is being, uh, we believe, is going to be used uh, as part of a package to assist uh, St. Rose Hospital. This, this will come back to the board. The board approved the uh, health pack contract uh, at the beginning of the year um, uh, because we need to do a modification to that contract to uh, allow for these dollars to come through, um, uh, in addition to, uh, as David is mentioning, uh, repurpose what were 3 million of general purposes uh, uh, funds to 
to give back to the county for them to support St. Rose and replace them with uh, this. It will actually end up being a contract that adds $26 million of new revenue to the contract and then takes out three. It's sort of an accounting uh, thing to, to uh, uh, move the right sort of pool of dollars and sources of dollars into, into uh, AHS. So, so that's it's, and then just from a, uh, just to take a half step back from what David said, the, the, re, the sort of state county um, mechanism that drives this is the state has a, uh, an arrangement with all of the counties that run uh, public hospitals to, um, uh, to give back uh, tobacco tax dollars and vehicle license uh, fee dollars to support the care of the indigent. And as more people got insured through the ACA, the supposition was more of your cost would be um, uh, covered by the coverage, and so you need less of those funding sources. And, and so there's a calculation or a, um, um, uh, a, a formula that determines how much goes back to the state unless then costs, when they true this up two years later, show that your costs weren't all met and you had new costs and then you get to keep the money. So, so that's the risk we run, uh, and hence the reason you would reserve some of it that two years later when you calculate all this out if they say you did have the cost, you keep the money, or you didn't have the cost, you owe it back to the state. Other questions or comments? you want to share a couple of your big points from the Finance Committee to, to clue us, us in if, if you think they would be helpful for us to know? I mean, I think the um, important parts were, you know, we're, we're not totally comfortable with the EBITDA margin that's being projected in the budget, but it's also very early, so mm -hmm. we understand that. We understand this is a messy process. Um, but I think we were kind of, um, you know, interested in, um, you know, the, the patient uh, revenue capture, which um, you know, Mr. Cox is working on. And um, our illustrious president chimed in from Europe saying that we'd hired people to uh, look at that before. And, um, you know, obviously the part of your report would want to know why it didn't work the first time. And in the meantime, do what you said and then hopefully have a, a long-term answer. But, um, you know, to keep people in over the weekends without... Um, Medical justifiability is not a great thing mm. to have happen, and so we need a further report on that. The registry issue, Mr. Redmond will come back, I assume, at Finance Committee in a month and explain this 16-week, because um, we've been chasing that dog for as long as I've been on this committee, um, not to, and to finally realize that uh, it may not be an achievable goal, at least in the short term. So um, I think those are the major things that we, we discussed. Yes. And, of course, the... $72 million in the MCE to cost programs was uh, great news. Just timing is a little off. So thank you. I was just going to say, I think we have a lot of opportunity for finding ways to help people get out of the hospital more efficiently. Um, but I Over technology. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think that we've had care managers over the weekend in the past, so I don't know why that's a new problem. It's, it's not a new problem. I, 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 I actually appreciate you saying it. Um, it is an ongoing problem. It, I think with, actually, I want to say, I think a couple of the improvements that we've made have, uh, have actually just called in, uh, called more attention to the, uh, the opportunities that still remain. So, so some of the work that we're doing around transfer centers and being able to uh, move patients in a, a more timely fashion to uh, parts of the system where there are beds is helping with actually getting people in, in and around the system uh, a little bit more efficiently than we have in the past. More work to go evaporate, but still success there. Discharge lounges, other sorts of things that we're doing and putting in place. So, so the care management issue, I completely agree. It came up as an opportunity, 
more that's still remaining, but certainly isn't a driver of <coughs> increased length of stay because it's not that we lost it and now patients are staying longer. We haven't had it, uh, and it's still an opportunity. So, so I say it, it, it should be cast in that light then. I think more of a new a new problem per se. But I think it is troubling that our length of stay is it's going higher. Yeah. And I did hear a report that we have sicker patients these days in the ICU, which could account for some of it because right. maybe our patients are sicker than they used to be. But I can't. But we're not sure if it's all of it. And 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 to that end, I, I mean the the deny, the denied days piece that David mentioned is still true. I I haven't seen, and I'm. I'm asking for numbers on what that actual amount is and what the figure is. But what I do know is from our daily reports, you, I mean, there's an obvious drop off over the weekends on the number of patients that we discharge out of our acute setting. Uh, and a good part, a portion of that is not just uh, uh, social work. So I want to be clear about that too. It's a systemic uh, thing that is partly things we can control and also partly things we cannot control. So it's not just that you need social workers necessarily here to facilitate, you know, discharge education, patient placement, and, and all the, the like you may need, you know, to make sure we have attendings all throughout the uh, day to make sure that those orders are written in a timely fashion, family transport, things like that outside of our control, placement if they need to go to another setting, maybe available on Saturdays, not on Sundays, and so they, there's a host of things that, that contribute to that, but nonetheless, uh, we're continuing to look at it because if the ultimate effect is that there are denied days, meaning that from a clinical perspective, someone is deeming that that patient no longer needs to be in the inpatient setting, then there's an opportunity for us to figure out what are the combination of solutions that help to, to make that happen. David, did you also want to mention that because, you know, we've just approved the free associates things, you talked about the pro-charge uh, capture and how much in the short run, you know, what that would mean coming back and maybe the whole board would like to hear how that, you know, in the short term, right? Because that's mm -hmm. going to start right away. Well, um, the, the revenue cycle team actually met <clears throat> last week and kind of went through the entire gamut of things that need to be fixed. And that's mm -hmm. obviously a big, big piece of it. Uh, we've written that up and we've uh, had an initial discussion with the senior management team and it's going to be on the agenda on Monday and it's part of the budget process and we need to decide you know, which of these initiatives we can go after and how and which will I'm require. I, I didn't hear what she asked about. Oh, it has to do with a profession, physician charge. You know, which were the two things which yeah. we felt, uh, you asked what else happened in the finance yeah. committee. There were yeah. some that, you know, we had just approved the free thing that we said, if we do this, like we do the care management or we do this, this is what the returns will be. Like mm -hmm. this is what we are yeah. spending on a consultants, but this is what we are going to get back. And I just wanted oh. David to, you know. Oh, thank you. I, he's distilling that flavor okay. and kind of right. sharing. Right. So, so I just kind of explained that we haven't really decided, you know, which of these we're going to go after yet. But that being said, uh, professional revenue is a big opportunity. Uh, there are several pieces that have to go right to make that work. One is we have to have a billing system that allows us to do that. Mm. We're in the process of rebuilding that. It will be done by July 1st. Um, the second thing is we need to have um, this charge reconciliation unit because we found that, unfortunately, not only our, many of our managers, not all of them, but some of our managers and many of our physicians just have never really had to do this before. So it's hard to take somebody from here to here without the training and the systems and the, and the support and everything but else. Haven't we uh, been through that before with consultants to train our staff? 
not 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 in other areas, and no, not not particularly in this. So, uh, what we try to do is um, internally with our revenue integrity department, which is our own people, to go around to departments and educate and try to put systems in place. And that it really is just taking much too long. So, what we're thinking is create a charge reconciliation unit. So, what what are, this is like, you know, four to five to six people. They would look at each of the departments, look at individual physician activity for physicians. Okay, for this physician, this physician saw 20 patients today. Okay, there should be 20 charges in the system today. And if there's not, track it down, get the charges in. So if we get the charges in, if we have a system that can bill and get paid, then the other piece is a clinical documentation training for physicians so that they know how to code uh, E&M codes, which in today where we're hearing is there just simply hasn't been that level of support. So those, those three things, which largely can be done without any external consultant, I think, need, need to happen. Coding is critical. The documentation to back up that coding is really the key to that. Yeah. Because in the absence of the documentation, the coding is not going to be powered. So. We have, uh, with the AHP physicians now, uh, we have enrolled them and we issue a report to the AHP board where they can see uh, everything, you know, the billing and reporting. And now, as we are moving all the contracts for physicians under AHP, we want to standardize this process. It's, it's, a, it's a huge number of physicians, different services, and different complexity of workflow from the ED to the surgeons to the contractors, but, but that's, that's part of the work. Is the system currently able to generate a productivity report by individual physician that you can share with them? Mm. We just completed that as part of this rebuild. In fact, we have just started sharing them with, and I happen to be sitting with Dr. English in HR, and he said, I just got this nice report. It turned out that I did, I did three, I did three, I'm, I'm credited with doing three appendectomies in, in OR last month, that I don't remember doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, that's not good either. But. <laughs> no, but that's how you find out. That's how And is there a way to provide that data to all the physicians in a blinded fashion so they can kind of have a comparison yeah. to see yeah. how the productivity <clears throat> is? Yeah, the, the, there is. And we're, this is our first step to distribute the reports as a test to see, look at these, do they meet the needs of, you know, and learn from that, and then the next step will then to start redistributing these to, um, you know, all the physicians, but in particular physician leadership for each of the services. And this is also something that the leadership of uh, Alameda Health Partners will be looking at. If you can do something graphically in a dashboard fashion, yeah. that, that certainly is optimal. So we want to have the <coughs> dashboard for the physician leader by service line. And we want to have a physician's scorecard. It has to do with productivity, quality, safety. So this is, this is like our future state. And uh, from the quality and safety, I think we have the tool. I'm just trying to get there slowly. From the uh, productivity and, and integrity of documentation, uh, it is a little bit more complicated. And having electronic health records solves the problem in a big way. This is where, you know, hopefully we're going. We can't wait till then to get, no, you know. <coughs> no, absolutely. Okay. That's why we, we have all these measures that, uh, that we are doing. 
So in ambulatory care, I mean, we're using as much as possible next-gen, whatever we have as tools, and uh, we are going to look into ways as much as possible to optimize revenue capture uh, with whatever we have and with, uh, you know, doing, doing the right thing, you know, just like making sure to do the right thing. How are you auditing now for, for the E&M codes? to make sure you have the appropriate documentation, because it doesn't sound like we can do that electronically very easily. So you're going back to the individual patient charts and then trying to make sure all the elements are there. Is that kind of what you're, is that basically the way this is happening now? I will say that there has not been an infrastructure in place to accomplish that. We are just building a physician, physician coding unit now. So there's two pieces of support. For those clinics that are on NextGen, NextGen does that review and says, I see the documentation you've done, and I see this as a level two. Right. You've documented a level three. Is that really what you mean? Do you want to go back and update right. your documentation? So NextGen helps that process. Sure. Remember, we still have a lot of specialty clinics that are still on paper, so they don't have the benefit of that. And one of the impetus to roll NextGen out to all the specialty clinics is a piece of that documentation charging support. So we have some billing that happens on Ingenious Med. So we can pull up reports, but if they don't bill it, then we, we, we can't we can't tell. And then we try to do reconciliation between uh, patients' visit that is entered into into Sorian and and the billing process. So you know it's we have different, unfortunately, different workflows, and this is what we're trying to get our hands around. Thank you. Thank you. I had a question on the registry uh, numbers. They didn't. Uh, I know that the registry is a problem, and it's always going to be a problem. That's what I've learned. But uh, it shouldn't be if, if we staffed right. <laughs> to varying degrees. To varying degrees, right. It's, it's quite an opportunity. We're, we're, we're okay, opportunity. That's the new word for problem, right? <laughs> yes, it's a lot more progressive. <laughs> it's a new word for nothing's going to happen. For the progressives in the room, it's a lot more progressive. But we list our actual for 2016 is uh, 20 million, then it goes to 24 million projected for 17, but then it drops to five and then six. What? What? Am I missing something there? <clears throat> we're we're making the assumption that we would have hired full-time staff and <clears throat> eliminated the registry. Oh, and that so that staffing increase is commensurate in, in, in that number. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But we've wow. been planning to fix that for a long time. I was going to say, I wouldn't yeah. bet the farm on that. Yeah. I'm not being critical. It just does know, seem like I this know. is... But year after year, it is registry turns out to be a new problem. So. And are we at a point... Well, uh, we had also talked about being a network, and, and maybe that would help with that? Uh, yes, but the challenge on that end is, I mean, it's 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 bargaining unit. So right. we are we are we're moving in the direction of actually as much as possible creating a type of uh, uh, flexibility in our staffing and other things that we can um, uh, from a bargaining perspective. I mean we're we're SEIU in the core. We're um, uh, on the nursing side. Well, on the, every side, but but up from the nursing side, SEIU in the core, CNA in the uh, in the uh, two other facilities, and so to the extent that. Uh, we have been able to negotiate space between or opportunity between uh, CNA to create uh, systemness uh, in, in those areas. That's, we're still pursuing that. I, I can't remember exactly where we landed, but at least we've, we've socialized the, the, the idea, and, and I think we're moving towards creating that sort of uh, flexibility. It would be nice to see if that actually impacts and gets us to that, that magical place.
Most of our registry issues right now, I think, exist within the core. Oh, is, that, okay. is that correct? Uh, some of the issues uh, that we've experienced recently were connected to some of the um, staffing for uh, types of uh, uh, breaks, mills and, um, and non-mill breaks, and, and uh, having, it, um, having to fix what was in some areas inconsistent and unreliable staffing in that area have created a need for uh, more FTEs uh, uh, and in the process of actually trying to address that we have to hire more so until we do that we're using mm -hmm. what resource registry overtime to address that so while we may dial it back in some areas that were historically problems it pops up in another area so you kind of have this balloon effect until you get it all right but I think it's a fair thing that it's been quite a challenge for us for a while and you know we'll continue to work at it but we won't be overly aggressive in our ability to do it until we can actually get it right. The plan really is to, to revisit kind of the hiring and to look at the staffing for each of those units, especially where you may have had some issues around break periods and all. That, um, uh, looking at the hiring process more, more in connection with the hiring managers, uh, all of them, and HR to kind of make sure we're having a, a timely uh, expedited process throughout that, so we don't have uh, sort of leakages there, uh, as well as in looking at the registry contracting process, both from the perspective of you know how long those contracts exist, so that if you do onboard people, how quickly can you terminate them? Uh, how quickly do you bring up another registry, knowing that once you make the commitment, you're making it for a long term? Uh, how many other registries we're using, so we're introducing others, so that if we are using registry, we're getting the best rate possible, uh, and having as much flexibility as possible. So. It's, Multiple, multiple factors, but we're just trying to, I think one of the biggest ones is really uh, put a, uh, a, a restriction on who can actually approve registry going forward before we enter into any new. So we sort of really centralize that. There has to be a really tighter justification before, because otherwise we keep having new tails going on. So um, uh, we're working on multiple fronts. How long is the onboarding process taking? For a nurse, uh, it's about a month, I believe, right? It's, it's quite a while for orientation and training, particularly for new nurses or nurse gra new grads. So on average, for all positions, it's 61 days from a job being posted to someone starting work. That's the average. Nursing can be higher or lower, depending on the specialty. Uh, it's significantly variable. Med surge nurses we can bring on quickly. New graduates we can bring on quickly. Specialty nurses take a lot longer. So I think uh, he's asking specific. I think you're asking specifically about from once data. you're hired. From higher date to start, it, it, again it varies. So if you lived in Contra Costa County, it can take a long time to do a criminal background check because the county takes a long time to provide that information. If you work in any other part of the country, it can move much faster. So there are a lot of variables there, and some things we're trying to remove right now so we can speed that that portion up. I guess it doesn't take any average. That's a, it. It would three weeks. You know, it can run a little longer, but we can do it in about three weeks but from the point that someone's accepted. And when we bring on a new nurse, don't we have a, a longer sort of training and orientation? No, they um, we do NEO uh, on the first day. They do new nurse orientation the second day, and then they move into the nursing unit on the third day. And they may not be fully productive on that day. I'd need to talk to Kinsey about how quickly they give them a full patient load. But it doesn't take multiple weeks to train a new nurse. They do new nursing orientation, which is a full-day orientation on their second day of employment. And then it's probably a week before they're fully into the camp with a full patient load, depending upon the unit they're in. 
I just have a question because uh, I realize I don't know the answer. Are travelers, do we hire them through registries? I mean, is, are those two things there are, the same? There or? are two separate things. Travelers typically are 13-week contracts, not 16, um, and registries come in in the same day. So they come in immediately. So they would be the equivalent of a SAN. They can come in quite quickly and get up to speed more quickly. A traveler you typically book for 13 weeks for the coverage of some type of absence or a clear vacancy that you need to fill for that period of time. So there are two different approaches, so daily and then more longer-term contracts. But are both reported as registry? Uh, they would all come in the same, yeah. Temporary resource for, through an but external agency. So we reported. see registry on here. It, it's, it's all the same thing. The they all lump together, but we there are various types of approaches. Some you can bring in much more quickly on a daily or a weekly rate, and others they come in for the full 13-week contract, which are typical tra what are typically known as travelers. Right. Uh, and they have a longer contract and commitment. I've asked this before. What's the registry and the support services column? What do those people do? Primarily. Uh, case management. There's also uh, quite a few uh, people in IT that are on, in this category. In what? IT. IT. Don't forget to, them too to look at. Okay. Great. Are there any more questions or comments? I'm good. Thank you. All right. I think we should move on. But, uh, Dave, we move yes. from David to Dave. Yes. Let's hear about it. Uh, thanks. So, um, last time I came and reported the board on this, I think we had just sent the RFP out on March 8th. And uh, we had a due date though for that of April 3rd. Uh, we had a request to extend that to April 7th. So instead of Monday, move it to a Friday. Uh, both vendors sent their responses back on Thursday, April 6th. Uh, so we had both of them arrive in the same day. Um, they are voluminous, as you can imagine. There's over 6,000 specific questions that were asked in the RFP process, uh, of which all of those will be reviewed by someone and scored on both vendors. Uh, I've got about 600 questions to review and answer myself. Uh, to, to score. And so we have a team of about, you looked at the list, uh, 30 people or so that, that's going through that specific RFP evaluation and scoring. Uh, that all then comes in this month. Uh, Cerner will be in to do their on-site demos. We have over 350 people signed up uh, to go to participate in, in over 40 sessions, which will equate to about a thousand different uh, scoring sheets that we've turned in uh, on review of what our scripted demos for almost every one of the sessions is a scripted demo. So the vendor's been given a script to say, here's what you need to demonstrate for us. And then the score sheets literally say, how well did they demonstrate that? And you, you rank it on a Likert scale to give us that feedback. And those will all be tallied up and produce a, a score that goes into a pretty big formula that, that after all of the reviews will come out with a score for each one of the vendors through all of this entire process. Uh, part of that is the executive site visits that we'll do at the end of May after both of the uh, vendor demos are done. Uh, we have a small group of the executive team going and meeting with the with the vendors on, at a corporate visit to understand uh, what the partnership looks like, uh, who we'll be working with, what, how do we escalate when when something goes bump through this project because we expect something will. On a project over three years at this cost and the number of people involved, something will go bump. Uh, we want to make sure we've got the right contacts to call and make sure we can smooth those out as much as possible, avoid them if we can, but when, if they do happen, how do we uh, get back on track and move it forward? All of that to get us to a decision point in June uh, with a leading vendor, as, as Jim Kalivas has uh, led us to discuss, that uh, we won't pick a vendor. Uh, we'll be cho choosing a leading vendor because until we finish the contract negotiations process, we haven't picked a vendor until contracting is ready to go. 
And so we expect to come back to the board in, in, the, in September, October, November uh, with a proposed uh, contract to be approved. You'll be coming to the board uh, routinely. Uh, yeah, this is yeah, yeah, this only goes through. Yeah, the leading vendor earlier than we'll, that. we'll know who that leading vendor oh, is. Oh, in yeah, June. Yeah, yeah. You'll know in June. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we will publish the leading vendor in June in, in our work. But at that point, we won't be asking you to approve a contract. Right. As we, we'll, we'll be saying... Here's the leading vendor. We're going to go into contract negotiations with them and then come back to you, as he mentioned, later with a request for... And do you... But you're not going to pursue a contracting process with both of them? I believe Foley will continue discussing contract terms with both vendors until they reach a, a, uh, an agreeable term uh, and we make a final, final decision that we would present, recommendation we'd present. Will they know which one? Uh, they will know, yeah, because it'll be in a public session like this. <laughs> They'll know. Other questions? No? Great. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I think we're um, shockingly at the end of our meeting. Am I right? Did I miss I it's a Christmas miracle. Yeah. This is, um, there were any, uh, we had no other public comment. Is that correct? Okay. Uh, well, then I think we could, I, I would entertain a motion to adjourn. I will move. I'll second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Good night. <laughs> 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 exactly.